Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good evening, y'all. It's a pleasure to be with you. I just want you to know this room is not ordinary. Like this just shouldn't be happening in Winter Garden. I mean, it should because Jesus reigns supreme and we all should be worshiping Jesus, but this room full of young adults, it shouldn't be here. When you look at Orlando, you look at the stats, I just heard it on a podcast, so it must be true, but I did my research, I promise. We are one of the top 10 de-church cities in all of America. And the fact that you've come here on a Thursday night to worship Jesus, make his name reign on your lips, you are defying the odds. Your very presence here is a reminder to the cosmos It's a reminder to the kingdom of darkness. It's a reminder to yourself that Jesus still reigns. So do not take this gathering of saints, this gathering of young adults, lightly. If it's your first time and you're new here or you don't know why you came or you only came because your friend invited you or you heard there was food, I just want to let you know the Spirit has been calling you your whole life. And I just pray deeply that you will hear his voice tonight as we open his word. Okay, now I can go to my actual stuff that I just had here. It's our third year doing this. Um, Jeff just reminded me kindly that uh, the the, the amount of volunteers that we had just for this gathering is what we used to have as our whole like ministry. And It's not because I'm a great enough speaker. It's not because the lights are cool. It's not because the music is more amazing than you can find somewhere else. I just, I think this ministry has grown because Jesus called you here. And I'm just super honored to be with you here tonight. I'm super honored that you would choose to spend your Thursday night here. Um, Do we have any uh, house church leaders here right now? Can you raise your hands? Yeah, you can clap for sure, yes. I guess before we begin, I, I want to publicly honor you. Um, I want to honor your commitment to this community and the care you've directed towards young adults, uh, opening your homes, making crafts, doing food, having hard conversations, late night talks. Like, thank you for pouring into our community. You're awesome. And I just want to let everyone know that we, we would not be the same without you. Um, and just to encourage you, like there are young adults in this room, house church leaders, whose life will not be the same because you opened up your home to them on Thursday night. So sincerely, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you've been with us this summer, young adults, uh, you'll know we've been covering the topic of God's holiness. And so this message tonight will conclude our series just called Holiness. And uh, I've called this message Embracing Holiness. So I'm gonna invite you to your feet to open up your word, open up God's word. Uh, we'll be in 1 Peter, 
First Peter, it's towards the end, just a few books before Revelation, like pretty much right there at the end. You have James, First Peter, Second Peter. We're gonna be in chapter one, and we're gonna read verses 14 through 16. This is what God's word says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, we stand linked here right now in faith asking that you would open the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our minds to see you clearly. God, I pray that we would have open hearts to receive your word. God, I pray that your word would not just scratch the surface, but that it would pierce deeply, that it would take root in our hearts and transform us. God, I pray against any, any influence, any demonic forces, Lord. I would seek to sway our minds. God, give us a sound mind right here, right now. Whatever we come in with, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would silence it in the name of Jesus so we hear you clearly. Would your name, would your voice rise above all of the voices that are in our minds right now? Would you calm our fears, calm our anxieties? God, I pray in your name, Jesus, that you would let our hearts be harvested for the worship of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all can be seated. So as I was studying tonight's text, I, I was struck by just the simple uh, invitation uh, that, well, really command that Peter calls for us in verse 16, which is, he says, be holy for I am holy. Now, how in the world are we going to do that, right? Because if you were here during the first summer gathering, we, we read about Moses meeting with God on Mount Sinai and God shows up in all his holiness. He shows up in all his glory and all his power. And Moses' only response was to fall on the floor, hiding his face. Because he recognized in the presence of a holy God that he was in the presence of a God and being like no other. See, the Old Testament defines holiness as something or someone that is sacred or set apart and morally pure. So when God reveals himself to Moses as the Holy One of Israel, as the Holy God, he wants people to know that he is unique, greater than anything else, and can never do anything wrong. And so then Peter says, all right, be holy like that God. What? Like none of those three criteria like I applies to me. Like the, like, like the same holiness that made a man fall on his face. You want me to have that kind of holiness? A holiness that seems to be exclusive just to God. How? What does Peter mean for us to be holy as God is holy? Well, God, well Peter's call for us to be holy stems from the understanding that we have been made holy by a holy God. Like when you place your faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and his victory over sin and death, you were made holy. So that means, Mosaic young adults, you are unique to God, morally pure through God and set apart for God. And our holiness 
is completely dependent, not on your works, but on God's holiness in and through us. And the reason God made you holy is out of an abundant love for you. Because at our our second summer gathering, Jason was teaching on the reality that humanity is unholy in its naturalness and that a holy God cannot be in relationship with an unholy people, but that this holy God loved an unholy people and he closed the gap between the two by making an unholy people holy through the blood of Jesus. And so Mosaic, you are a holy people. And Peter's command for us to live a life of holiness is one that comes from God's heart of intimacy. It's God bringing you to him when you were once far off. It's a command that comes directly from God's love towards you and me. And so when Peter says to be holy, what he's saying is, listen, you're to now live a life dedicated and devoted to intimacy with God into obedience to God's command. This is your call now. But here's the question I have for you. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth pursuing a life of holiness? Is it worth having your whole life being dictated by God and being devoted completely to his ways? Is it worth having God be the central priority of your entire being? Because listen, we often so highlight intimacy with God that it's easy to forget that Jesus calls us into obedience as well. It's not just intimacy. It's not just you and Jesus and your quiet time and coffee and your open Bible. That, that's, not the, that's not the fullness of, of your life with Jesus. There's the other hours of your day in which you devote to him and him alone. And so the command to be holy can actually be really daunting, especially in the world that we live in, a world that sneaks to snuff out anything that resembles even a fragment of Christianity. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, Pursuing a life of holiness, committing ourselves to the ways of Jesus isn't easy when we live in a world of unholiness. It just isn't. But to embrace holiness, to live a holy life, means that you are committed to rejecting the ways of this world. You're committed to it. Because this culture and its systems are antithetical to the things of God. What God deems good, the world calls evil and vice versa. And when you devote yourself to the teachings of Jesus, you will only call good what God calls good and you will only call evil what God calls evil. And this will inevitably put you in opposition to this world. And you might think you can hide. But here's the thing. When we refuse to partake in the belief systems and customs of our culture, it will bring about rejection, chastisement, ridicule, and mockery. Jesus promises us that, actually. In John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, this is one of Jesus' final teachings before his crucifixion. He says this to his disciples. He listen, you and future disciples are gonna experience this. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because Jesus set us apart as holy, therefore the world 
hates you. And by world, Jesus means systems, organizations, and infrastructures. And sometimes this will mean individual people. But, but I'm wondering, what, like, why would people hate disciples of Jesus? It's because disciples of Jesus are devoted to King Jesus, who completely rejects the way of this world. And your lives will be so countercultural that your very existence will become a challenge to this present age. So knowing that holiness, pursuing a life of holiness will bring difficulty, begin to ask ourselves, is holiness worth it? Because this is the same question that the first century church was asking. This is the first, this is a question that Peter's audience is asking. See, 1 Peter, the letter that we're in tonight was a letter written by the apostle Peter to, uh, to a beaten up group of Christians. And most of these Christians that Peter is writing to were Gentiles. So, so that means they weren't Jews. Most of them were not anyway. And so they not only were rejected by their friends and their family for their faith, but they were now considered enemies of the majority culture as well. So their faith in Jesus brought persecution upon them and it had been going on for years and for years. Now at this point in history, most of this persecution wasn't met by death, but it was still hostile. And so these Christians would be rejected and mocked and ridiculed for their faith in Jesus. And naturally, if it were any, any of us, what would you want to do? Give up, throw in the towel. And so Peter writes this letter as a way of encouragement and as a reminder to them to continue and press forward in a life of holiness, even though it would be easier to just give in. But see, Peter doesn't say these things to be holy uh, like some self-righteous high horse Pharisee. He actually is well acquainted with what it means to be holy in an unholy world. He was beaten and mocked and ridiculed and imprisoned for his faith. In fact, four or five years after he writes this letter to these people, he is crucified upside down. He knew exactly what it would cost him to live a holy life. And there's this scene, uh, I've been reading through the book of Acts and it was a scene that was imprinted in my brain. I shared it with our leadership team today, but it's in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter five. You don't have to go there. I'm just gonna, we'll have the, this, the verses behind me. But in that chapter, we read that Peter and the other apostles were in prison for preaching the gospel. And, and listen, no matter how much the council tried to shut them up, they refused. And so eventually they're released but I just want you to listen or read how the apostles responded to this trial. Verse 40 through 42 of Acts chapter five. And when the Sadducees had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And that scene gets me every time. Because Peter and the apostles were joyful even when they were persecuted for their faith. They were so devoted to Jesus and saw themselves as so set apart for God in such a profound way that even at the risk of punishment, if not death, 
They just couldn't shut up because they knew Jesus was Lord. And so Peter gets it. He knows exactly what his audience is going through. He, 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 he says, listen, I, I know it, but I want you to stay the course of holiness because it's worth it. As we examine the text for tonight, I, I want us to examine three things. The, the, sorry, the way of this world, the way of holiness, and the goal of holiness. I'll repeat it, the way of this world, the way of holiness, and the goal of holiness. Let's reread verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So when Peter says, do not be conformed, well, let's break it down a little bit. It means to be conformed means to tie yourself to something and to let yourself be shaped by the thing that you're conforming to. It's very much like the saying, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you, well, who you are, but maybe your future too. Uh, but there's a lot of truth to this statement. Like what you surround yourself with or who you surround yourself with will begin to influence who you become. And so Peter says, listen, listen, do not have that kind of relationship with the passions of your former ignorance. Now, when you hear the word passion, you, you typically, either you're thinking about the worship team from Atlanta, or you're, it's in another positive note, you know, like you're asked, what are you most passionate about? Or like, oh yeah, that guy's passionate about sneakers or that guy's passionate. It's usually a question or a statement that's held in a positive note. But the word for passion in the Greek here is this word called epithemia. Okay, can you say it with me? Epithemia. epithemia. Perfect. And that word means self-indulgent evil cravings. Not so positive, you know? Probably should send something to Louis Giglio, tell him. Anyway, so just kidding. He's using it for different, he's using the English version, it's fine. So Peter says, okay, not to let yourself be conformed to the selfish, evil, indulgent desires that are in opposition to God. Because that's what it means to live in accordance to your former ignorance. It is to live a life that completely rejects the ways of Jesus because that's actually how we all lived before we ever knew God. But here's the thing, as young adults, or just really as Christians, sometimes we could think that just rejecting Jesus and his ways leaves us in a moral neutral zone. It's not a good or a bad. Or following the world is, is a more, again, not a good or a bad. It's just, I do what I like to do. But the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, I summarized it. He said this, that those who followed after the world, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we followed the way of the devil, that we were disobedient to God and lived for the passions, that word epithemia of our flesh. This is the way of the world. The world actively rejects the ways of God and lives for their own passions. You see, what Paul is revealing in Ephesians chapter two is this reality that to reject the ways of Jesus is to walk the path of death. To reject the ways of Jesus is to walk the path of death. Instead of us being devoted to the things of God, we begin to chase the things of death. 
And so Peter tells his readers to not tie themselves to the passions of their former ignorance because those passions will only lead you to one place, to death, to death. And this path of death is laid out before us all the time. Reading passages like Ephesians 2 can make it seem like these are just some spiritual realities that maybe we engage in every once in a while. But the ways of death are actually everyday activities that seem normal in our culture. You see, I find it really interesting that whenever the New Testament authors talk about rejecting the ways of the world, they frame it in terms of how inhumans interact with one another. You see, the, the authors of the New Testament tell us that to walk in the ways of the world means to act in, uh, to take part in acts of sexual immorality, jealousy, fits of anger, division, envy, idolizing, etc. See, because when we engage in these practices, we partake in the devaluing of humans around us. Like when we gossip about others, we're diminishing that person's character and story. When we envy one another, we only see one another as a person to compete against instead of a person to value and know because they have what you want and so you want to take what they have. And when we choose to act on sexual immorality, whether it's undressing someone with your eyes at the gym or getting as close to sex as you can with your partner without actually calling it sex, what we're doing is we're choosing to tell those people that they exist for our sexual pleasure and we commodify their bodies. And the world tells you, that's okay. That's normal. But as you hear me say that, does that sound normal to you? Is that the life you want? And I say none of this with any ounce of self-righteousness. Many of you know my own story about my battle with pornography that lasted for more than a decade. And what I'm reading here and what God is reminding me and what I'm hoping he's revealing to you is that when we partake in the ways of this world, we experience death and we bring death upon others. Your sin doesn't just only impact you. And knowing this to be true, Peter says, resist it. Resist the way of death. Resist the voice that tells you to reject God. Do not be conformed to death because you were meant for more. And that more is holiness. This is what he says in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. See, when Peter says you are to be holy in all of your conduct, what he's saying is that your whole life is meant to be set apart for God. And Peter's making this really sharp contrast between verse 14 and verse 15, right? Because verse 14 says, highlights the ways of the world. And what does it lead to? Death. But here in verse 15, Peter says that we are to take the way of holiness and we do that by being holy in all of our ways. So now let me ask you, if, if the ways of the world leads to death, what do you think Peter's trying to say about the way of holiness? It's, to, it's meant to lead us to what? Life. 
And we often miss this aspect of holiness because when we read, be holy for I am holy or be holy in all of your conduct, we just, we see this call to holiness as abiding by some like moral checklist that's full of do's and do nots. And honestly, if that's what it was and that's what you've thought about the Christian faith, I would hate it too. But holiness is more than just about filling out a daily moral checklist. It's actually about moving away from death towards life. Here's why. I'll ask a couple of questions and we'll just a little dialogue. No, it's okay. Do you know? <laughs> I don't know, whenever I say this, I think about the muffin man. Do you know the muffin man? <laughs> Preaching's hard, y'all. I'm just saying, like, sometimes thoughts come to my mind. I'm like, I shouldn't say this. But do you know? what cannot be in the presence of God's holiness? Sin, also known as the muffin man. And do you know what sin leads you to? Death, that's what Romans says, the wages of sin is death. So what do you think happens to sin and death in the presence of God's holiness? It gets rid of it. See, it is God's own holiness that deals with sin and death. It's the only thing powerful enough to remove the stain of death that marks humanity. So when God says for you and me to be holy in all of our conduct, what he's doing is he's inviting you and me to experience life in the fullest by partaking in the very holiness of God that cannot be in the presence of sin and death. And so holy living actually invites the presence of God, which removes the aroma of death that is around us in this world. And so the more you and I partake in God's holiness, the more we're able to experience the life that God lives. Now you might be saying, but that, that feels still so restrictive and, and obligatory. Like, like, like if God's already made me holy, why can't I just do my own thing? Has anyone here ever been to the Grand Canyon? Cool. That's, well, less people than I thought, but I'm glad. Chris, did you know uh, that the Grand Canyon is one of the seven natural wonders of the world? That's cool, cool. Um, do you know the distance from top to bottom? 6,000 feet. A mile. Yes, okay? Just, just think about this for a second. From top to bottom, it's a little over, over 6,000 feet, but it's, it's a little over a mile, okay? Now, when you're looking at the, uh, the, you know, the, the section on top, when it overlooks everything, what's stopping you from going over? Probably death. Well, the guardrails are there, right? Well, uh, it depends on where you go. well they're guardrails, okay? <laughs> Irrelevant. There are guardrails, okay? There are guardrails. And those guardrails don't rob you from experiencing the beauty of the landscape. And they don't stop you from taking a picture to show all your friends on social media, the guardrails are there so you don't die. Whatever. <laughs> and this is how we are to see a life of holy conduct. The yeses of holiness are meant to protect us from the nose of worldly death. He's not trying to be restrictive and be a party pooper. He wants you to experience life. And so Jesus gets at this reality in John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. And God, as the source of all life, came so that we, as humanity, could experience life. Now, when we think about the, the, the concept of eternal life, we often think about it in terms of time, quantity, right? Eternal time means never ending, right? But when, God, when Jesus says the words eternal life, he's also talking about the quality of life. See, whatever characteristics mark the life of God is meant, uh, is meant to apply to us once we've been given eternal life. So for Jesus to give us eternal life means a life full of love, peace, joy, healing, hope, redemption, and restoration all of the time. Are you okay? I don't mean to, I, you're right in front of me. If you're not feeling well. Okay, I'm just, just checking. Okay. So God wants you to have life. He wants you to have love, peace, joy, healing, hope, redemption, and restoration. Do you want that to be true of your life? See, God wants that kind of life for us, and so he invites us to embrace holiness and partake in the ways of God. Because when we embrace holiness, we ready ourselves to have God's love, peace, joy, redemption, and restoration be poured over us in greater and greater degrees because there is no end to the life and deposit of God. As we finish tonight's text, what we find is that this abundant life that, that we are offered by God through holiness is meant to benefit more than just ourselves. In verse 16, we find Peter. He says here, as it is written, since it is written, he's actually quoting Leviticus 19, where God says to his people this exact same thing. You shall be holy for I am holy. Now in this section of Leviticus, God is teaching his people about his holiness. He, he's talking to Israel and he's explaining, them, explaining to them what it looks like to be holy. See, their life of holiness would signify to the surrounding nations that they were in relationship with God because they only ever did what God told them to do, or at least that was the intention. They were meant to listen and follow only what God said to listen and follow to. They were not to obey or give any heed to the customs of the other nations. And through their devotion to God, everyone else would know that Yahweh, that God was their God and they were his people, that they were set apart for him. And through this relationship of love and obedience that comes from a holy life, they would experience the abundant life of God. You see, the results of living a holy life like Israel was experiencing was also meant to be experienced and seen by others. As God was teaching his people to be holy, he, he emphasized one of these commands and he, he elaborates it for quite a while, but it's all summarized in this. Love one's neighbor as oneself. Hebrew scholar J.E. Hartley says that the law that God placed upon Israel told them that to be holy also meant to love one's neighbor well. 
And that term neighbor meant one's fellow, a hired laborer, one who is physically challenged, a person of higher or or lower social standing, even those who have caused you offense. So here God's telling to love your friend, love your employees, love those who can't fend for themselves, love those who can or cannot help you and love those who hurt you. Interesting. And then Hartley goes on to say that later in God's teaching on holiness, that that circle of who you're meant to demonstrate love to doesn't just stop at those who hurt you. It also means to, to, to love the outsider. See, the thought here behind God's call to be holy to Israel is that people from other nations who worshiped other gods and were walking in the ways of death would come into Israel and be treated like they were one of God's people. These nations would look at Israel and see this type of holy behavior and notice that the God of Israel was good to them. And as God's people embraced holiness, the hope was that these outsiders would become so attracted to the life that they saw present in the people of God that they would want to abandon the gods of these four nations, that they would want to leave their former lives so that they could take on the holy life of God. And this is what God wants us to see about living a holy life ourselves. That there are people right now in your lives that live in a spiritually foreign nation. When God made us holy, he brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of God. But some people are still in the kingdom of darkness. And they desire the same things we do in the depths of their heart. They want life and freedom and hope and healing and redemption. But they will never get that through this world and its ways. Darkness cannot set, anyone, cannot set anyone free, but can only blind and bind. But our holy lives are meant to be lighthouses, just like Israel was to the surrounding nations that point people to God so they could experience the life that only God can give. But please let me offer you a word of caution here. This expression of holiness towards the world cannot be license for arrogance. See, when we extend the holiness of God towards others, it should not be with the thought that somehow we're better than everyone out there. Sometimes we see our status as God's holy children as a badge of pride. But this really is just a form of holy self-righteousness. And it's off-putting both to Christians and non-Christians alike. This is where we get the term holier than thou. We cannot point people to Jesus and have arrogance in our hearts towards them. Brothers and sisters, we have been made carriers of God's holiness and life. And just as God used Israel to bless the surrounding nation, God wants to use us to love the people around us today so that we can point them to Jesus, the one who gives life, healing, hope, freedom, and redemption. And this is what drove Peter to continue sharing the gospel even after he was imprisoned and beaten. He understood that his commitment to a holy life to following God's way of holiness actually directed people back to Jesus, the giver of eternal life. 
Peter wasn't neglecting the reality that it's hard to be holy in, in an unholy world, but he just knew that embracing holiness allowed him to participate in God's work of bringing life, hope, redemption into a world of death. And you've been made holy so that others can experience the life of Jesus through you. So let me ask you again. Isn't that worth it? Isn't it worth rejecting the ways of death so you could experience life through holiness? And that through your commitment to holiness, you'll actually see people come to life through Jesus? Isn't that worth it? Is it not? See, you've been made holy so others would see Jesus. And humanity has been trying so hard to produce life. But here's something that I've become convinced of more now than ever. There is no other name under heaven given to us by which humanity can be saved other than the name of Jesus. In our generation, whether you're a later millennial whether you're Gen Z or you're like me, I'm a Gen Zennial, it's what I call myself. We are defined by our acts of activism and social justice and protests. And if that is you, I applaud you. Okay? Because I love your heart for fighting for injustice. But may I say this? Any of those efforts, any of those human efforts without the power and holiness and grace of God will never lead people to the, to the eternally good life that can only come through knowing Jesus. Our holiness becomes like a cry in the wilderness calling this world away from the hands of death and pointing people towards our holy God. Now you might be saying, Caesar... <laughs> But I hear you and I want others to experience life in Jesus. But I give into death sometimes. There are times where I do follow my former passions. I'm not as holy as I want to be. I'm dirty, I'm scarred, and I'm disgusting. And if that's you tonight, I want you to know you are as holy as God has told you you are. Satan will whisper in your ear and tell you that you'll never actually be holy. That the passions of your former ignorance are better than the ways of holiness. That your mistakes and failures as you pursue to embrace holiness means that God cannot use you and that God will distance himself from you because you're worthless. I know. Because that's what Satan would whisper to me every time I watched pornography. Every time I engaged in sexual immorality, every time that I commodified somebody's body. But let me tell you, in Jesus, 
through the eternal one who gives eternal life, your sin no longer defines you and no longer directs you. It is not your destiny, it is not your purpose, and it is not your identity. Mosaic young adults, you are a holy people. God's made you holy. And your status as holy comes from God, and if he is holy forever, guess what? You're holy forever too because you're made one with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It says he, but it just means y'all. He, she, you guys, you are a new creation. And when you placed your faith in Jesus, he made you a new creation, bringing you from death to life, and he made you holy. And he made that an irreversible reality. As a new creation, Jesus has called you to participate in his work of bringing life to a world of death. Jesus promises this to those who believe in him. John chapter seven, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Does it say whoever is the most holy? Whoever is the most perfect, whoever has the best past and future, whoever, what's the prerequisite to be used by God? Whoever believes in Jesus, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. You are not the one producing holiness, y'all. God is. So whether you succeed today or fail today at being holy, listen, remember this, even when you fail or even when you succeed, you are still holy and God still wants to use you. So where do we go from here with that level of freedom? Let us commit ourselves today. Commit to vote ourselves to abandon the ways of death. God has made you and me to be recipients of his life. And there are people here tonight, I know, that are hungry and thirsty for the life of God. And for far too long, you have been under the weight of sin and death. But let me tell you this, regardless of your past, your baggage, your family history, your mental health diagnosis, your doctor's report, God wants you to know that you were meant for life with him. So may we reject the ways of this world and instead step into life with Jesus. That instead of pursuing death, Mosaic, let us embrace the way of holiness in all the areas of our lives. And as we embrace holiness, I pray, this is what I've been praying for as I was preparing this message, that this community would become more vibrant and welcoming. That we would become a place for, of love for the marginalized. That the oppressed would find freedom and purpose in Jesus. I pray that the very same people who would mock us for our faith would become brothers and sisters in the faith because they saw Jesus through us. I pray that the shackles of death would fall off of us and that we would run at full speed towards the arms of Jesus, that we would hear stories of freedom and restoration, that families would become healed because of your holy presence, that mental health diagnoses would be reversed, that sexual identities would be rooted in Jesus, that anxiety and insecurities would be cast out because of God's holy presence, that the life of Jesus would become the life of us. And as that happens, I pray for this one thing more than anything else. 
that we would become bold. I want, I want to encourage us tonight to be like the apostles and the disciples in the, in the first century church and continue to proclaim Jesus as the only way to life. The city of Winter Garden, the greater Orlando area needs this living water that Jesus talked about. Wouldn't you want to see a powerful move of God, not only in this young adult community, but in all of Orlando? So may we embrace God's holiness and allow his streams of living water to flow out of us. God has made you and me to be agents of redemptive grace to all people. So may we embrace holiness starting tonight. Let's pray. God, we surrender ourselves in all our ways. At least that's the prayer I want to pray, Jesus. But I know right now that there are people here who are just battling. They're battling to receive the life that you want for them. God, I pray that you would free us and free them and let them know that the life they desire of joy, of hope, of peace, of freedom, will never be granted to them because of their works, but has already been granted because of Jesus. God, I pray that you, that you move in our hearts to prove to us, show us that your way is not just the better way, but the only way. God, I pray for vigor and life in this ministry. Lord Jesus, I... I can only think that we are to ask you for more. That you always do more than we can even imagine or ask for. I, God, I think you want to do something so marvelous in our, in our little section here of Winter Garden that will reverberate all throughout Orlando. God, please keep drawing young adults to you. As the good shepherd, call out to your sheep. And may they come home. Just like we had that banner outside that said, welcome home. God, I pray that you would let them know that you hold a cosmic banner saying, welcome home. Welcome home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we um, respond in musical worship, I'm just gonna provide us some time here of just intentional prayer before the Lord. I'm gonna provide some prompts. And if you find yourself somewhere in there, you can come up here if you want. We have people here praying for you or you can stay where you are. Neither is more holy than the other. But if listen, if you're here and you've yet to experience the life of healing, freedom, restoration and redemption that comes along with life with Jesus, but you want to tonight, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. That's it. Believe in him and abandon the ways of death. He will make you holy and he will pour the fullness of God in you. Now there's some of you who are here tonight and you might have some spiritual barriers as you've journeyed with Jesus. Jesus. 
So let me ask you, what, what worldly things of death need to be discarded in your life? Are there any remnants of new age practices? Do you binge on unhealthy distractions like Netflix and doom scrolling or excessive drinking and drug use? It's time to part with them. In what ways are maybe you choosing death? Unconfessed sin, anger and unforgiveness, sexual brokenness. Maybe, maybe you have deep wells of pride in your heart that you need to just give to the Lord tonight. If you find yourself in that category, my invitation to you is ask the spirit of God to reveal it to you and that you would ask God to help you remove those things from your life, that you would just throw them away like the filthy rags they are. And there's some of you tonight who, who you just want to grow deeper in your holiness. You're like, I, I, I resonate with what Caesar said tonight. I, I just want more. I want more of that. So let me ask yourself, what, what are some things that you can, starting tonight, begin to take on. If you haven't read your Bible yet, like the whole Bible from cover to cover, maybe start tonight, Genesis 1-1 or Matthew 1-1. Just don't start in, Genesis, in Revelation or Exodus or, oh, no, it doesn't find, but just start somewhere. Get on a reading plan. And maybe, maybe this fall becomes the, the fall where you just say, man, I, I want to immerse myself so much in the living word of God that I, I'm just gonna spend an hour every day reading. Maybe, maybe you're here and you just don't have community, but you're like, man, I love God. I want, to, I want people to help spur me on, like maybe join a community group or, or a Bible study. Come continue to Thursday nights. Take the beautiful risk of being known by others and knowing others. We have prayer nights uh, as a church every Monday and mix, which is where we normally meet. It starts around 5.30. Maybe you just need time in prayer with other people. So wherever you are, whether you need to give your life to Jesus tonight, whether you need his help removing the things of death in your life, or maybe you're looking for ways to go deeper into the living water of Jesus, if any of you are there, just spend the next few minutes, open yourself up to the spirit of God. And I'll make a special invitation. If you're in none of those, but you still want prayer, come up here. Don't worry about as everyone else is praying. We'll talk about it. I'd love to pray for you. We have leaders here who'd, who'd love to pray with you. Whatever God is speaking to you, he had you here for a reason tonight. So listen. Just listen to him tonight. Because all he wants for you is for you to see the landscape like the Grand Canyon. He doesn't want death for you. He just wants to stand by and say, look, isn't this life amazing? So here, take the next few moments and pray. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.